0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the
1: Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of of grace, grace, the Lord Lord is with with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and and blessed blessed is the the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen holy, holy mary, mary mother of, of god pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and at, at the hour, hour of our death. death amen pray for us O holy mother of god that we may be made worthy of the promises of christ let us pray pour forth we beseech you o lord your grace into our hearts that we to whom the incarnation of christ your son was made known by the message of an angel may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Priesthood Sunday is coming up this weekend, and on this episode of Truth and Charity, Bishop talks about the importance of praying for our priests, as well as ways to offer them our support and encouragement. Then it's on to the parable of the fig tree and the fruits we are all called to bear. The show wraps up with listener submitted questions about baptisms, praying the rosary too fast, and with Halloween approaching, which saint costume would Bishop choose to wear? If you have a question you would like Bishop to answer on a future episode, just go to RedeemerRadio.com slash askbishop or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and then select Ask Your Questions. You can also go to Audio Library to check out any of our previous 65 episodes of Truth and Charity anytime and anywhere.
0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Thank you for being here again. You're welcome, Kyle. We have... uh, I don't actually remember this in the past I don't know if I just was oblivious missed it or if I've forgotten it but Sunday October 28th is priesthood Sunday is this a
1: an annual thing yes I think in the United States um I don't know how much it's observed we also observe the feast of the sacred heart of Jesus as a day of prayer for the sanctification of priests and I think that's probably observed more I guess it depends on each diocese but but it is important for us to uh celebrate our priests and to pray for them
0: sure we've got mother's day father's day secretary's day all these different days right. to honor people in our lives so what better to do that to honor our priests as well so a special day to set aside to celebrate the priesthood in the united states uh, can you talk about why it might be important for us to
1: to recognize the priest and maybe how we can be supportive of them you know i i kind of what you just said about how we have Mother's Day and Father's Day, yeah, it's so that we don't take our parents for granted, yeah. you know. And I think it's the same with priests; we don't want to take them for granted—the the good they do, the sacrifices they make, right? Uh, the wonderful service that they provide to God's people. So I think it helps to to have this day of of just calling them to mind and and expressing our support for them mm-hmm. because it's not always easy. I mean. Sometimes the vocation of marriage and parenthood isn't always easy. But it's the same with the priesthood. You know, there are challenges, there are crosses to carry. So it's important that uh, the priests know that we care about them and that we pray for them. And we're also celebrating, it's a gift from God when Mm -hmm. you think about it. It's a sacrament, holy orders. So we thank God also for the gift of the priesthood. It's through the priest that we receive for example, the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. It's through the ministry of the priest that our sins are absolved in confession. It's through the ministry of the priest that we receive the anointing of the sick when we are in a, have a serious illness. So we shouldn't take it for granted, this gift from the Lord and the men who have responded to this call from the Lord. It is something to celebrate. And you mentioned struggles in marriage,
0: struggles as parents, you know, and when we run into those different struggles, there are different resources. There's other couples that we can talk to. Uh, How do you deal with your kids when this situation happens? We can talk to our parents. Maybe I know my wife and I went to third option for a while, which was a great uh, thing for our marriage to help strengthen us. Are there things like that for the priest? I feel like sometimes they're isolated in a parish by themselves and sure they could call up a brother priest, but are there good uh, opportunities for them to, to turn to others whenever they are having some struggles? Well,
1: I think I would always say first and foremost, turning to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Christ as our best friend. Prayer is essential. So that, I think, always has to be number one in the life of a priest, but I also say in life of lay people, too, mm-hmm. um, that we turn to the Lord in prayer who gives us strength, who gives us grace to persevere, who gives us his love, and it surpasses any friendship or any human relationship. Having said that, though, human relationships are important. Holy orders, the priesthood is a vocation to love, mm-hmm. as is marriage. And you know, a priest is called to love the people whom he is assigned or called to serve. But it's also important as a human person, as a human being, we all have this need for love, to love and to receive love. Now a priest promises celibacy, so, so it's not through the exclusive relationship with a woman in marriage. But that doesn't mean that a priest then lives in isolation we always even in seminary we we stress the importance of uh to the seminarians that when they're ordained priests that that they should really have good friends especially good priest friends and and good lay friends too friendship is a great gift Mm -hmm. so i know when i have a challenge i will first go to the lord in prayer he's my best friend but to talk to a close friend and to get together with a close friend can be a great support So, yeah, we do encourage priestly fraternity. Mm -hmm. That's really important. And I know I get a little worried if a priest is out there and doesn't get together with other priests or doesn't attend priestly gatherings because none of us should be a lone ranger in Hmm. the priesthood. So, I really encourage priestly fraternity. And I see it in our presbyterate here in the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, where priests will get together with brother priests maybe over dinner or, or whatever, or they visit each other. That can be a really good thing to um, experience the joy of friendship and to kind of be encouraged mm-hmm. in one's ministry, especially if one's go, and, and especially if one's going through a difficult time. To be able to share that with someone, to share that with a good friend, can be extremely helpful.
0: And then what can we do as laity to help support our priests, to help them make sure that they are taking time for themselves and, you know, getting some rest and relaxation and just reach out and be supportive as, you know, kind of, if we look at it like a children, we call them father, you know, so how can we be good
1: children to our spiritual fathers? You know, I think words of encouragement, of affirmation, you know, there's some people who the only time I ever hear from them is when they're complaining about something, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it can be demoralizing for yeah. our priests, like it could be demoralizing for me. I mean, all of us, you know, we all make mistakes. We all have our weaknesses. But if all we hear from people is is uh, criticism or complaint, it can really lead to a lot of sadness. So, yeah, that's why I, I think it is good if... if um, to express one's support and to give a word of encouragement, mm-hmm. like a, a word of gratitude even, you know, a thank you. That means so much. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, priests should be looking for human praise or adulation. I mean, that's not what we're in this for. I mean, we're, we're here to serve God and to do His will. But as human beings, right. it always helps when we receive acts of kindness or words of affirmation from others. Well, I think St. Paul says that we're supposed to encourage one another, right? So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> some of
0: us might not even be aware of all of the things that a priest does. And I one time heard a priest joke, the reason he became a priest was because then he would only have to work one hour a week (laughs) on Sundays. Uh, But can you talk about some of the things outside of a daily mass and Sunday mass that a priest is doing that we might not even realize is occupying time
1: and putting stress on him? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of homilies to prepare for example, or Mm -hmm. talks to prepare. It depends on the, sometimes the size of the parish Some assignments may be more challenging than others, but I know when I was serving as a priest prior to to being ordained a bishop, my days were full Mm -hmm. um, doing spiritual direction and counseling for people, a lot of people who'd be calling for appointments for one reason or another. Uh, certainly celebration of the sacraments, visiting the sick in their homes and in hospitals, the hours of hearing confessions. A priest's day can be very, very full. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's often a lot of organizations in a parish, groups, et cetera, where a priest is present for meetings or whatever. There's um, celebrations. So most of our priests are quite busy. The important thing for the priest though is also to keep a balance there's always that temptation to become workaholics i have to fight that temptation sometimes where we then could let things slide that you know we can't say yes to everything Mm -hmm. or we'll burn out so we always have to make sure we have time for prayer Mm -hmm. number one it's important to have time for exercise for our own health and it's also important to have some leisure time as I mentioned before, to have some time with friends. A priest by canon law is entitled to one day off a week. So it's important that priests take that day off because we all need our batteries recharged, you know, and uh, whether it's the day off or the vacation time that's allotted to Uh a priest because, you know, most of our priests that I know are really hard workers.
0: And what are... Maybe some of the obligations versus recommendations as far as saying daily mass or uh, liturgy of the hours, uh, maybe a holy hour, things like that are, I I believe the liturgy of the hours is required. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is a daily mass required of priests? Strongly recommended. Okay. Yeah. And then what about
1: things like a rosary or a holy hour? Is that also Strongly recommended. Um, You know, the important thing is the balance and time management. I mean, a lot of us struggle with time management where we have to kind of look at all of this and say, well, I can't do everything. So, we have to learn sometimes to say no, that we just don't have the time to do certain things. Otherwise, what could happen is if, for example, as bishop, if I say yes to everything, then I'm not going to have time to pray. Mm-hmm. And that's not good in the long run. I mean, you can go a certain amount of time, but then if you don't have the spiritual life, things are going to fall apart sooner or later same with taking care of physical health and emotional health. I mentioned, you know, exercise and friends. So one has to be able to manage his time and to prioritize. I think at the center of every day for a priest, it should be Holy Mass. Hmm. And then the liturgy of the hours, which we pray at different times of the day. A holy hour is a, a great thing to have every day. And then to look at the ministerial responsibilities that one has and prioritize them. You know, I always think when we're prioritizing things, for example, our care for the sick and suffering should be up there on near the top. Mm-hmm. Making the time to visit the sick in hospitals, for example, is more important than maybe some other activities that one might enjoy doing. But when you think about it, we have to discern, well, what? What's most important? What is God? How does God want me to spend my time? And um, I think it's a struggle to to manage time. I imagine it is for you as a husband and father. And uh, we all have to kind of sometimes step back and and kind of look at how we spend our time Mm -hmm. and maybe readjust things so that it becomes healthier and better for us. And then for the people to be patient sometimes with understanding the schedule of priests sometimes that maybe they can't accept every invitation. I know I can't, it would be impossible. Do
0: you have a priest that you looked up to
1: when you were a new priest or maybe even before you were a priest that you really admired? My first pastor was an excellent priest, and uh, he was a real good role model because he was faithful to prayer. He had a good routine of prayer, and I saw that, and Mm -hmm. and I, I learned from him to develop a good prayer routine. I saw the way he prioritized things. I saw also that he took time for friends and for exercise. He used to like to play tennis and racquetball. But he was very devoted to the people, but he he had a good, well-balanced life. So so that was a good example for me Mm -hmm. uh, early on when I was first ordained my first couple years as a priest. And I think we can all look to uh, mentors in the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's important that our young, newly ordained priests have good priest mentors who they can look up to and learn from.
0: Were there any big surprises whenever you became a priest? Like, well, I wasn't expecting this to take up this much time or that I would have to be doing this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, it definitely was busier than I thought it would be. <laughs> um, There's certain things, too, as, as human beings that we might enjoy more than others. Mm-hmm. Other things as priests. For example, I love teaching, you know? Like, for some, it might be challenging, for example, to, to prepare a homily mm-hmm. or can be a little burdensome. Whereas for me, that's something I enjoy, you know, there's certain things according to our own natural temperaments that we might find easier to do than other things. Right. For some, they might find it uh, that they just love going to the hospital and and visiting the sick. For others, that might be more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. So we all have our own gifts, our own talents, our own interests, but we have to be faithful to our obligations, whether they're our favorite things to do or not our favorite things to do we're called to do God's will and to discern, okay, how does the Lord want me to to, uh, spend my time? And that's a good question for us to ask ourselves occasionally.
0: Well, and this is a good reminder for myself and for all of us to recognize our priests, not just this coming Sunday, but uh, regularly to, to recognize the challenges of the priesthood and to see if there's anything that we can do to help support our priests and uh, also just to continue to pray for them as well. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about cutting down fig trees, the authority of St. Luke, and get to questions that are asked by you, the listener. Coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes I am Kyle Hyman here with our Bishop and Miriam does a great job preparing for these shows and she was looking through the schedule and pointed out this upcoming Saturday's Gospel that's October 27th comes from Luke chapter 13 and it includes the parable of the fig tree and so I wondered if Bishop you could share that parable with us and then
1: maybe explain It for us as well. Sure. Um, It's one of those parables that we hear occasionally at Mass, and and it's from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. So it's not that long, so I'll, I'll read it. And Jesus told them this parable There once was a person who had a fig tree planted in his orchard. And when he came in search of fruit on it, but found none, he said to the gardener, For three years now I have come to search of fruit on this fig tree but have found none. So cut it down. Why should it exhaust the soil? He said to him in reply, Sir, leave it for this year also, and I shall cultivate the ground around it and fertilize it. It may bear fruit in the future. If not, you can cut it down. So this is a very interesting parable, I think, Jesus was telling this parable on his journey to Jerusalem. I think the, the, the message is is clear. It's a message of repentance. Mm-hmm. And it's an urgent message. It shows us how, how patient God is. I mean, there there was no fruit being born for three years. And, of course, the idea is that the owner was going to have it cut down. It shows how God is patient. So, another year was, uh, was added. In other words, the gardener said, leave it for one more year, and he said that he would cultivate the ground around it and fertilize it to see if it would bear fruit in the future. So, in a sense, it reminds me of uh, early in the Gospel of Luke when St. John the Baptist said that every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So it's interesting how this idea of an orchard, it's very common, usually vineyard in the Old Testament mm-hmm. as an image for Israel. Hmm. And I think the owner seems to represent God. The gardener for example, addresses him as, as Kyrios which is Lord or Sir. Hmm. Another thing to interest. You know, three years, we can think of the three years of Jesus's public ministry. So we can see Jesus as the one who uh, comes in search of a of a fig tree that would bear fruit and in his three years of ministry. Anyhow, I think the basic message has to do with um, that we will be judged by our the fruits. We'll be judged by the fruits of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the virtues, especially, will be judged on love. And the Lord's patient with us, but we're all called to bear fruit in our lives, to the fruits of of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be people of faith, hope, and charity. But yet, we see God's patience. He, he gives them this extra year. The gardener asked for that, and so he could fertilize it. it kind of shows us that God always gives us another chance for mm-hmm. repentance, but sooner or later, time's going to run out. <laughs> right. You know, So, it's kind of a wake-up call here. I do like this parable. I don't know much about fig trees, uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess they're more common in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, the people that would have heard this parable knew about fig trees. I don't know if there's any special significance in that it was a fig tree, but in any event, the message is conversion, the message is repentance, and that God has patience with us, but we shouldn't presume on God's mercy hmm. and realize that yes, we, we are to bear fruit. And I always love that, that sentence of, of uh, St. John of the Cross that at the sunset of our life, we will be judged hmm. on love. I mean, that's the, the greatest fruit that we're called to to bear in our lives of faith. That's what we're going to be judged on. And God is patient with us and he's merciful. He's a merciful judge, but we should not presume that we can get to heaven without producing good fruits in our lives, right? So if we're some combination
0: of the gardener who has some control over the whole situation and the tree that produces fruit. What are some of the things that we can do to fertilize our soil so that we are producing good fruit?
1: Yeah, I think prayer is really important. The sacraments, certainly the Holy Eucharist, I would say the sacrament of penance is really important because Mm -hmm. it kind of takes away the I guess the disease that a tree might get, you can mm. say, that would make it not able to bear good fruit. So we got to get those things cut off and that's sin. So the, I think the sacrament of penance is really important for fertilizing uh-huh. uh, to get rid of those dead branches so that the the, the tree doesn't just wither and die. We need to, to water it. We water it. Uh, and that water is really God's grace that we have to open ourselves to. Hmm. The graces especially that we receive in the sacraments and the graces that we receive from prayer.
0: And then also, one of the things that this brought up is the idea, St. Luke wrote this, who wasn't one of the 12 apostles. So how did he get to be one of the people that writes a gospel and also the acts of apostles?
1: Yeah, you know, he was a disciple of St. Paul, but there was an oral tradition that was going around. In other words, he would have heard from eyewitnesses of Jesus. Uh For example, you say, well, how did he know about this parable? Because he wasn't there when Jesus gave this parable. Well, he probably heard it from the oral tradition, mm-hmm. from one of the other apostles, or something. some of these parables were written down even before the Gospels. So, there might have been something that he read. Um, and I can't remember, Kyle, do you remember is this parable of the fig tree in the Gospel of Mark or Matthew? I can't remember, because most believe that that Mark's was the first gospel, and that Luke would have had access to that. Um, quick, I think it. I think it is in Mark's gospel. A quick
0: search mentioned. looks like it's also in Matthew twenty-four and Mark
1: thirteen. Yeah, so it's possible that Mark or that Luke learned of this parable from from Mark mm-hmm. or from Matthew. Most scholars think that Mark's was the first gospel to be written. So, so, I mean, scripture scholars study these things, but even though Luke wasn't an eyewitness, he would have learned from those who were eyewitnesses and from some of these earlier uh, documents and also from what was being passed along orally. Okay. And also, maybe just as importantly, how do you feel about figs? I like figs. Okay. And I think they're good for you, right? <laughs> well, I, let's go with it. Yeah. I used to love fig Newtons. Uh-huh. Yeah. I haven't had them for a while. All right. Well, maybe a future episode of Truth and Charity.
0: <laughs> have some figs and some fig Newtons. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have a question for Bishop, you can ask that by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash askbishop. You can, of course, call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260 436 95, 98. You can also ask questions by going to the Redeemer radio app, which is also where we have past episodes of truth and charity with Bishop Rhodes. We've got more coming up right here about Eastern Catholic rites, the relationship between Bishop and religious orders in the diocese and more coming up on truth and charity with Bishop Rhodes brought to you in part by Notre Dame federal credit union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you have submitted for Bishop to answer. Our first question comes from Patrick Wheeler from St. John the Evangelist in Goshen. He asked, how many Eastern Catholic rites exist
1: in the world? Okay, Patrick, thanks for that question. I think we have, if I'm not mistaken, 23 Eastern Catholic churches. I think we've talked about this on the program before. We're Latin-right Catholics, we belong to the Latin Church, but a lot of times people don't know that there are all of these Eastern Catholic Churches, the Byzantine Catholic Church for example, or the Melkite Catholic Church, the Maronite Catholic Church. And they're all autonomous, they all have their own bishops, but they are in communion with the Pope, Mm -hmm. they are in communion with the Bishop of Rome, so they're fully Catholic. They have all the seven sacraments. Now, the way they celebrate the liturgy and some of their spirituality may be different, or is different. Each one has really a rich tradition in how they they pray. So, obviously there would be common features because the Eucharist is the Eucharist. But for example, uh, many of these Eastern Catholic churches, they will have icons rather than statues in their churches they will use a lot more incense than we would use. I mean, those are some of the exterior, external things. But we're really, the whole Catholic Church is enriched by the diversity of the rites, of the traditions within the one holy Catholic apostolic church. And uh, I love when I have an opportunity to participate at an Eastern Catholic liturgy. One of the Eastern Catholic churches is the Ukrainian Catholic Church. And, and we have a Ukrainian Catholic parish in Mishawaka. They're in communion with Rome, and their bishop is in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I'm not their bishop. They have their own bishop, but they're totally Catholic. Okay. Uh, we also have Eastern Catholic liturgies in Fort Wayne and that's also, I believe, Ukrainian Catholic, and it's celebrated in the uh, the chapel of Mother Theodore Guerin, St. Mother Guerin, which is next to the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. Mm-hmm. When I lived in Pennsylvania, we had a lot more, uh, especially Byzantine Ruthenian Catholics. They were a pretty large number. Uh, so we don't have as many in our diocese here. Oh, I forgot, we also have a... Uh, Melkite Catholic liturgy celebrated at Notre Dame uh, by a priest, Father Khaled Anatolios, who is a professor of theology there. And I've attended that and preached at that uh, Eastern Catholic liturgy, uh, which is really, really beautiful. So, I would say to listeners, if you've never been to an Eastern Catholic liturgy, uh, I recommend it. And of course, you could receive communion because it is a Catholic church, but um, they chant a lot during the liturgies. Most of them have beautiful chants. And uh, yeah, as I said, I believe the diversity of the rites within the church is really a gift.
0: And so, under the Latin rite, there would only be one rite? But under the Eastern Rite, there's 23. Is that That's correct? Okay. Well,
1: um, in the Latin Church in the West, there are also a couple uh, other rites. There's an Ambrosian, but they're very small. Okay. There's what's called the Ambrosian Rite, which is, I think, only in Milan, hmm. Italy. And then in Spain, there's what's called the Mose Arabic Rite. I'd have to do a little more research. It's been a long time since I. Uh, Study them. But but of course, the largest rite is the
0: Latin rite. So then you mentioned Catholics could attend these masses and receive communion. Can priests, you mentioned yourself celebrating with some of these other rites, is that something that there needs to be some kind of special permission for
1: or... Are priests able to celebrate with these other rites as well? No, you have to have permission from the, uh, the bishop of another Eastern of a, for example, of an Eastern Catholic Church. Okay, uh, and you'd have to learn, you'd have to study and learn how uh-huh. to celebrate the liturgy in that rite, which may not be easy. And the same would be if an Eastern Catholic priest wanted to celebrate in the Latin rite. Okay, they would need the Latin rite bishops. Permission. Now we have a priest here in Fort Wayne, Father David Meinzen, who's a Ukrainian Catholic priest who has my permission to celebrate Mass in the Latin Rite, and he's the chaplain at the University of Saint Francis. Mm -hmm. So he celebrates the Latin Rite a lot, even though he is a a Ukrainian Catholic priest. I am not by ritual. I'm not able to celebrate the liturgy in an Eastern Catholic Rite because I I wouldn't know how. Okay. Um, I am allowed to con-celebrate, okay. in which I would have like a, a text in front of me where I could participate in the prayers and, and all of that. Um, and I can preach the homily at an Eastern Catholic liturgy, which I've done. Okay, One of our listeners asked, what are your thoughts on full immersion baptism? I'm fine with it, you know. The church allows it. I don't think one is better than the other. Full immersion or pouring water over the the head. So, yeah, I would say both are equally, not only equally valid, but equally good. And have you ever done a full immersion baptism? Very, very few. Yeah. More Easter vigil with adults. Okay. Yeah.
0: Another question relating to baptism. When choosing godparents, is it better to choose someone who can be close in physical presence, or someone who lives far away
1: but may have a better spiritual life? Good question, I mean, I think you should choose the one who is the better witness to the faith, Okay, and I don't think it should be determined by physical distance, I mean, it'd be nice if they're close by, because they could see the child more often growing up, but, but you can also do that long distance, or there might be some various visits that can be made, but the most important thing is you want someone who's gonna be a good example for the child as they're growing up
0: all right one of our listeners asked what is the relationship between bishop and the religious orders of ordained or consecrated people serving in his diocese is there a complete separation of authority
1: wow that's a very good question um of course we have religious congregations that have priests and brothers Mm -hmm. and we have religious congregations of sisters Mm -hmm. and in our diocese, we're really blessed by the number of religious congregations and, the, and uh, even the mother houses that are here in our diocese, especially a diocese our size. Yeah. Of course, the largest is the Congregation of Holy Cross uh, up at Notre Dame. So mm-hmm. we have, and there's actually three different congregations of Holy Cross. There's oh. the Congregation of Priests and Brothers, which is called the U.S. Province, And they're the ones who are the sponsors of the University of Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And we have several priests of that congregation who serve as pastors and associate pastors, parochial vicars, in parishes in the South Bend area. Um, There's also the congregation of Holy Cross Brothers, and they are... um, the ones who sponsor holy cross college at notre dame and also have holy cross village and then there's the congregation of holy cross sisters and they sponsor saint mary's college Mm -hmm. so they all have their headquarters or their their mother houses there so we have so that's we're really blessed holy cross from even before our diocese was founded We have had Holy Cross priests, brothers, and sisters serving in this geographical area. Hmm. We also have the mother house of the poor handmaids of Jesus Christ. And as you know, their foundress was recently canonized a saint, Mother Hmm. Mary Catherine Casper. Their mother house is in Donaldson. And they've been such an important part of the history of our diocese as well, in our schools and hospitals in particular, and orphanages. The other community that has its headquarters is the Victory Knoll sisters, and they were very much at their beginning supported by Archbishop Knoll. And their mother house is in Huntington, and uh, their mission was really missionary catechists in the southwestern United States and in in, uh, California and places like that. So their mother house is in Huntington. And then we have the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration. And they have a provincial mother house in Mishawaka. As a matter of fact, that's where I live. That's where I reside when I'm on the South Bend side of the diocese. Okay. And the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration are the sponsors of the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. They also have sisters in our uh, teaching in some of our schools. And they operate a healthcare system called Franciscan Alliance Mm -hmm. though we don't have any of their hospitals here in our diocese but so so we are really blessed plus we have sisters and priests from other religious communities that don't have their headquarters here sure but that they serve in our parishes our schools hospitals etc so what's my relationship (laughs) with them that's your question I'm sorry I'm getting going I'm so long winded here Kyle but um, I have a great relationship with them I, I love consecrated life uh huh They are such a great witness of the gospel, their lives of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And it's not just the work that they do, the ministries that they do, which we really appreciate and I really appreciate, but it's their witness. They're living the consecrated life in a way that inspires all of us to live our own Christian life. So, as far as authority, Mm -hmm. I have no authority on their internal governance. In other words, they have their own authority structure, their own superiors, because all of those communities I mentioned are religious institutes of what we call pontifical right. So they answer directly to the Vatican. They're under the Pope. They're not under the local bishop. So the only authority that I would have would be their ministries in our diocese. Okay. For example, they couldn't set up a ministry without my approval uh-huh. in the diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. Now, I have no authority over how they live their internal life. Mm-hmm. You know, They're following their own constitutions, the rules of their community. I have no authority there. But where I do have authority is their, regarding their work mm-hmm. in our diocese. For example, a religious order priest has to have faculties from me which means permission from me to celebrate the sacraments and preach here in our diocese they would be required for example in their ministries to follow the the norms the laws of the diocese on these different matters and when they staff our parishes when the when uh, religious order priests staff our parishes they're appointed by me the superior could present a priest to me and say, Bishop, I'm offering Father so-and-so to be a pastor here. And, but it would be up to me to say yes or no and where he would be assigned. Okay. So, there is that kind of authority when it comes to the apostolate, when it comes to the ministry, but not authority when it comes to their internal life as a religious congregation.
0: So as far as schools that would be operated in the diocese by a religious order, as far as classes that they might offer or things that they're teaching within those
1: classes or guest speakers that they bring in, do you have any control over that? We have no high schools or grade schools that are owned and operated by religious communities. Mm -hmm. All of our parish schools are are really parish schools. They're, they're part of the diocese. Same with our high schools. They're all diocesan high schools. Mm-hmm. Now, there are other dioceses where a religious order might have their own school, mm-hmm. but we don't have that here. But when it comes to higher education, we do have five Catholic colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gets a little more complicated, Kyle. I don't know how much okay. you want to get into it, but, but uh, at one time, those colleges and universities were governed by the religious congregations. Mm-hmm. Most of them in the late 60s and early 70s handed over governance to boards of trustees. And the board of trustees would mostly be lay people with a certain number of members from those religious institutes as members of the board. Okay. And they usually have some reserve powers that are left that the religious community kept for itself. For example, in some cases, they have the reserve power that it's the religious institute that appoints the president you know, not the board of trustees. So, each uh-huh. one is different. Each one has its own governance structure. So, I, I don't know how much <laughs> you yeah. want to get into the legal part. We're blessed to have five Catholic colleges and universities in our diocese, but, but I think they all have separate boards of trustees okay. now, but they all, I think those religious congregations that founded those colleges and universities did keep some reserve powers for themselves. Okay. Well, we might have to continue that another time. If you
0: have questions, you can <laughs> ask them by going to ask askbishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260 436 9598. And coming up, we've got questions involving speed praying, rosaries, and more coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you've submitted for him to answer. Terry Quayish from St. Patrick's Parish in Arcola said As a four year old convert to the Catholic faith, I enjoy praying the Rosary. Mostly, praying to our Blessed Virgin Mary in my car brings me such peace. Even if someone cuts me off, LOL. <laughs> I have learned to say, peace be with you when that happens. Bishop Rhodes, you are always in my prayers on the first Hail Mary. My biggest question that's been on my mind for five years is why do so many Catholics pray our holy rosary as fast as they can? It's as if these
1: holy prayers have become a race. God bless you always, Bishop Rhodes. Terry, thank you so much for praying your first Hail Mary for me. I need the prayers, so thank you. I do think a lot of Catholics pray the Holy Rosary too fast. I find it much more fruitful when I pray it more slowly. Because, uh, you know, trying to meditate on the mysteries, I think it's good not to rush. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree with, with Terry. I I think sometimes we do it too fast. If I've been in a group and they pray the rosary real fast, I don't, <laughs> you know, I find it difficult to pray that way. Uh-huh. Uh, I like to do it uh, more slowly. Now, not overly slow, <laughs> but, you know, at a rate that's reasonable. Why do you think people do it so quickly? Is it I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe they just got into the habit, and I don't want to judge them. But I, I don't find it as spiritually helpful if I'm if I'm just rushing. But that's any prayer, like yeah. liturgy of the hours. When I pray the liturgy of the hours, and if I go too fast, I'm not as attentive. So I try to pray the office every day more slowly mm-hmm. and really let it sink in.
0: All right. What process? is mother angelica in for sainthood do you think she'll be able to become a saint someday are there any known miracles associated with her
1: you know i really don't know if the process has officially begun and maybe she will become a saint someday i mean obviously the church does a very thorough and exhaustive study of the person's life Mm -hmm. and their writings and their teachings and witnesses etc I think a lot of there are a lot of people who have devotion to Mother Angelica and I don't know of any miracles attributed associated with her at this point there might be but yeah it would follow the process of of anyone who's being proposed for canonization. And for
0: those that don't know about Mother Angelica she's the one that founded the EWTN TV and radio networks and all well, that's kind of branched into all kinds of other things too print and, and things like that. One of our listeners said with Halloween one week from today, if you were going to dress up as a saint for Halloween this year, who would it be?
1: No question. I'd be St. Francis of Assisi because, first of all, I already have the hair for it. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but I also, uh, our Franciscan Friars minor gave me a habit. Oh, really? So I wouldn't have to f- go out and find a there costume. You go. I already have the habit, a Franciscan habit. Would you do a beard? Yes, fake, and you know, that beard. would only take me like a week. Okay. because yeah, <laughs> I, I, I grow facial hair really fast. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you
0: again, Bishop, for another great episode of Truth and Charity. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure,
1: Kyle. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle.
2: Join us next Wednesday at noon for another new episode of Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes. To listen no matter where you are or what time of day it is, search for Truth and Charity anywhere you get podcasts. Hit subscribe and get a notification every time a new episode is available. If you would like to ask Bishop Rhodes a question for a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, which is also where you can listen to previous episodes. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.